We better get into the Word of God. Open your Bibles with me to Ezekiel chapter 37. Good to laugh in church. Oops. Bibles. And that's okay. I lost my notes. <laughs> that could be good or it could be bad. We'll find out. Praise God. I thought they were here. All right. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your thank you that we can laugh in church. We thank you for our mothers today. Father, some of us had wonderful mothers that were just the perfect model of what a mother should be. Some of us had mothers that struggled with being what they wanted to be, but just were not able to. Some of us may not have known our mothers. Some of us may have had mothers that we're still learning to get over, but we thank you, Father, for them and honor them this morning because through them we have the life that we have. And Father, we just pray for them today. Father, we thank you today that as we turn to you that you are not only a father, but you are a mother to us. That our life has come from you, Father. And that you are our comforter. You are our protector. You are what a mother can be in the natural is to us. You are spiritually that mother to us also, just as you are our father. And so we turn to you today, Father. There's some here this morning that need comfort. Comfort them, Father. King David talked about climbing up on your knee like a weaned child and resting there. Some need to climb in your lap today and just rest in you and know that it's going to be okay, that you're going to get them through this. You're faithful to them. Some of us, Father, may need a a stern speaking to this morning. Whatever it is we need, we turn to you today for that and to your word. Father, we thank you for the purpose and call that you have on our life. Not one of us is here today because we chose to be, but we're here because you called us and chose us. And we've responded by your grace to that call. And Father, we pray right now today that we would have ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts to grasp and understand all that you have to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. I share with you that over this time before Easter, when I, we were, as a church, we're in a, a short time of prayer and fasting, that God began to crystallize some things in my heart that have been working in there for some time now about the focus and direction for this church. Nothing radically new, it's just bringing it into focus and bringing it into, into perspective. And God brought to my heart Proverbs 29, 22, which says, without a vision the people perish. That's what it says in the King James, but in, the, in the, the other translations, which are more modern, and really what it says in the Hebrew is, without a prophetic vision, the people are unrestrained. And what that means is not necessarily a prophet standing in front of us saying, Thus saith the Lord. It is the voice of the Lord speaking to people. Because when God speaks, there's an authority. When God speaks, there's purpose. When God speaks, it creates faith because faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. When God speaks, there there is the power to carry it out. There are many voices out there in the world today. I was praying about this the other day. I'm I'm talking about in the Christian world. If you watch Christian TV, and I don't watch much of it, but if you do, you'll hear many different ideas out there. Many, there are many books. Christian bookstores are filled with books, uh, and you can find books that contradict each other on the same shelf next to each other. You know, well, what do you believe? The book that's in your lap is what God's given us. God uses other people, but as I shared with the, with the congregation here on Wednesday night, and I, you know, don't tell anybody, this is a secret, all right? 
You promise not to tell anybody? If you don't promise, I won't tell you. You promise not to tell anybody? Okay. I know there's televisions on, but we're going to ask them not to listen into this. Everybody that's preaching right now is wrong about something. Nobody's got it 100% right. And you know, God understands that and He works with that. We do our best to know what God's Word says. But only one's right all the time, and that's God. Only one is right all the time, and that's God. And so that's where we go to for our source. And that book He's given to us is the Word of God, the Word of the Lord. And so we see here in, 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 in Ezekiel 37, there's a vision because Ezekiel was a prophet in a very similar time to what we're in right now. I'm not going to go back over that background. But God called him and sent him to the children of Israel while they were in exile. And while they were in exile, there were all kinds of issues going on. And there was a, there was, there was, they, were out, they were taken out of their home. They were thrown into a foreign territory. There were some old prophecies about them coming back. There was confusion about when they were coming back. And, and God speaks to them through the prophet Ezekiel. And, but in order to speak to them through the prophet, he has to show the prophet some things, a vision. So that's what 30, chapter 37 is about. It's a vision where God takes him out in a vision to the valley of dry bones. It was a very deep valley. These bones were very dry. They were scattered. And we're going to pick up here and just read a couple of verses because what we're doing is we're laying a foundation for the vision. Say, boy, it's taken a long time to lay the foundation. Well, yes, it is. But if you've ever watched, and I've shared with you other times, just somehow in my background, God has put me in offices before where I've been across the street from a building project. I mean like a big office building. And I've obviously, you know, I'm sitting on the phone, but I'm watching what's going on. And I don't remember what was on the phone, but I remember the lessons I got by watching these different buildings constructed. And one of the principal things I saw is how much time they spent in digging, pouring, and establishing the foundation. They took longer to put the foundation in than they did to put the steel structure up. That tells you something. The steel structure is going to support the part that you see, the skin of the building that you see. But the contractors and the architects and the engineers understand this principle, that the strength and the depth of that foundation determines what you can build on it. It's interesting because Jesus' ministry was only three, about three and a half years but he spent 30 years preparing for it. This is Jesus. The Apostle Paul's ministry, it took him 15 years of God to prepare him before he was launched out. That's preparation. That's foundation. See, one of the reasons we miss so much of what God has for us is we're so quick. We read things quickly. We want to get through this quickly. We want to get on to the next thing quickly. We live in a generation where everything is just microseconds. You know, we get impatient. I'm, I remember standing in line at a fast food restaurant when our kids were small. After church, when it was right over here. Stand, just, just getting really frustrated because it was taking long to get my hamburger <laughs> longer than two minutes. Because you see, your frustration comes by your expectation. If you expect it in a minute and it takes two minutes, you can get frustrated. But my parents growing up had no concept. I mean, later on they did. Growing up, they had no concept of going, to a, going through a drive-in window. What was that? You went and sat down in a restaurant, and when they placed your order, they go fix your food. And it took a while. And, you know, it's nice because you get things faster, but there's a downside to it. There's a cost we pay. 
And that's, we expect that. We're a push button. We're an instant generation. Of, and we have, we're raising a generation of children that, that don't understand. And I'm, even my generation started to get into this, where we, we have trouble if we don't have something going on all the time. Just to sit and be quiet. And it's only times of quietness and stillness where we can truly hear the voice of God. Oh, he can speak to us on the run, but it's that still, small voice. And if there's so much noise in my head, if there's so much noise around me, if there's so much chaos around me, it's hard to hear what God's saying to us. So we're spending time because what God wants to say to us is so critical, it's worth spending the time to prepare us to hear. I shared with you a couple of weeks ago and finished it last week, the parable of the sower where Jesus said, if you don't understand this parable, you're going to miss everything else I'm going to teach you in parables because the, prince, the key is this, and he talks about sowing the word and the, the, the whole parable is about hearing. And we shared at the end last week, we went back and looked at the principle because he says, he, says, he who has to him will be given. He who has not, even what he has will be taken away from him. And he's talking about ears to hear. So the kind of ears that you have, not these flaps of skin on the side of your head, but the openness that you have of your heart to hear determines what God is able to put in us. We determine. God has so much more to show us, show much, so much more to speak to us than He is able to get into us. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 says, Eye is not seen, ear is not hear, nor is it entered into the heart of man. All that God has prepared for those who love Him. That means God has prepared things for you, prepared things for me, prepared things for His church that we're missing every day because our eyes aren't open to see it and our ears aren't open to hear it. Just think about that for a moment. God has blessings for you, answers for you, things in your heart you've wanted to know, things in your heart you need to know that you don't know you need to know yet because they're going to happen tomorrow that God wants to prepare you for and prepare me for and prepare this church for, but because we're so quick to go through things, we don't hear it. And then we wonder, why God let this happen? Why did God let this happen? Because we weren't in a place where we could allow Him to speak. So we're going to take our time. to. This vision is so important, so critical, because we are at a crossroads for this church. It's so critical that we need to be go through whatever it is we have to go through and prepared so that we can truly hear what God has to say to us. So this is what he says. He brings the prophet out. The Lord came upon me in the Spirit of God, and he set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones, and he caused me to pass by them all around, and there were many in the open valley, and indeed they were very dry. And he said to me, this is God speaking now, Son of man, can these bones live? So God's asking the question. We've talked about this before. So I answered, O Lord, you know. O Lord God, you know. And he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them. So this is what God's telling the prophet, Ezekiel, to speak to a valley of dead, dry, scattered bones. If there's any picture of helplessness, if there's any picture of despair, of utter inability for for any hope to come, it's a valley full of dead, dried up bones. Not skeletons, they're strewn all over the place. And that's how Israel felt at that time. And we're sharing this because I believe in God's sight, that's where the church is today. See, we look at the church and say, oh, we have a nice building, it's paid for, you know, we have nice clothes, we have these ministry gifts, we have this privilege to come. It's wonderful, we're blessed in this church. But how does God see us? 
How does God see us? God doesn't compare us to the little church around the corner that I drive past every time I come in here. So I can't drive past and say, wow, we've got this big church. They've got a little church, so we're doing so much better. God doesn't look in terms that we look at. He's not looking at the outside. God's looking at the condition of our heart in here. And how does our heart measure up to His heart? Do the things that, do the things that touch His heart touch our heart? Do the things that move Him move us? He hates evil. Not people. He hates evil. Do we hate evil? I mean, do we hate it to the point that we'll avoid it? Or do we play with it? Where are we spiritually? The biggest danger is that we try to figure out where we are. We need God to show us where we are. And that's what God was doing with Israel. He was showing them that they were a valley of dried bones. But the good news here is God's, there's hope in what God's speaking. That's what this is all about. So he asked the prophet, can these bones live? And the prophet says, wait a minute, you're trying to show me something only you know. So tell me. And he says, prophesy to these bones, and here's what you're to say to the bones. Now, he's got a prophet in this vision, standing out there speaking to a valley of dry bones. What a great church, huh? He gets up there today to preach, and there's just dry bones out there. Now, not in this church, but I've been in churches where it felt like that. And he says, prophesy to them. Now, understand this. When God speaks, it's like no one else speaking. When you and I speak something of our own accord, we're declaring what we want to happen. When God speaks, it happens. That's why Jesus said we'll give an account for every idle word. Because, see, we're now made in the image of God. We're born again. We're His children. We're to speak what He speaks. And here's what he says. Here's the word the Lord told him to speak. Prophesy to the bones. Hear the word of the Lord. Isn't that a strange thing to say? He's already speaking. So he's trying to get their attention. And that's what we've been talking about. That's why we went back and looked in, 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 uh, in Matthew 13, or Mark, Mark 4, that was the version we looked at, of the parable of the sower and how Jesus taught. This is... If you don't understand hearing, then you're not going to hear what I say. And then we looked at the principle of how that's to be carried out. And then last week we began to look at an example that God's put in the Bible for us of a people, when we can look at it in terms of a church, that God had a calling and destiny on, told them what it was, tried to prepare them, and they did not enter in because they didn't hear the word of the Lord. Turn with me to Numbers chapter 14. And we'll pick up here today with the story that we were looking at last week, which is an example which is an example of people that did not hear the word of the Lord. And, of course, they sent the 12 spies out. The spies came back and said that the land was... Everything God said 
Everything in God's word was true about the land, but there were enemies in the land. There were giants in the land, and the report that they gave was that even though God said we could have this land, even though God said we could have this land, we, we don't think we can do it because there's, there's giants, there's obstacles to overcome. And when we looked at those obstacles, they were like giants to us, and we were like grasshoppers in their eyes, and so we were in our eyes. So these children, ten of these twelve spies are comparing. They're looking at what God told them they were called to do, and they were figuring out whether they could do it. This is the issue here. They were deciding whether they could do what God called them to do, and they were evaluating it by looking at what their senses told them, and their senses told them, oh, there's obstacles there that are bigger than your ability. This is going to come down to us now. There are obstacles out there that are bigger than your ability to handle, and they look like giants to you. And when those giants look at you, you look like just grasshoppers. Now let me ask you a question. How does the church see the problems of the world today? I don't know about you, but they look overwhelming to me. When I look, I mean, if it's just one or two major issue out there, well, maybe. But every time you turn on TV, there's something in your face that you know contradicts God's Word. And, and nowadays, it's not subtle, it's bold. There was a, a, a state appeals court on Friday that ruled that the National Day of Prayer is unconstitutional. This is an appeals court now. Ruled that it was unconstitutional because in that there was a mention of God. And occasionally there were scriptures read and that was the government establishing religion. And you look at that and you look at all the other issues that are in our face as Christians. Some of them even coming from so-called leaders of the church that tell you there's no hell anymore. Must have burned up. (laughs) And we're bombarded with these giants. And these giants scream at us and say, Who are you? to oppose these principles and doctrines that are in the world. Who are you to oppose these? You're just like grasshoppers to us. The world system looks at the church today as like grasshoppers. You know why? Because we're grasshoppers in our sight. See, the, 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 the progression there was they looked at the giants and said, these are giants. And compared to those giants, who are we? We're just grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. Now, if you go over into Joshua, you'll find out when they got in there, they found out that's not what the case was at all, that the the giants were scared of them because the giants understood that Jehovah God went with them. And that's what we don't understand. We don't really know who we are in Christ. We don't have a real understanding of who the church is and the call and purpose of the church. But that's that's why we're dry... One of the reasons we're dry bones. And so he says... Prophesy over them. So hear the word of the Lord. So here's a people that God had spoken to and said, here is your call. I brought you out of Egypt, which represents the world when we're saved. 
and I'm bringing you through this wilderness, which is the training ground we go through, to take you into this promised land. I've shared with you, the promised land's not heaven, because heaven doesn't have giants in it. Heaven doesn't have obstacles in it. It doesn't have enemies in it. The promised land is the call, is the land in the earth that God's given to the church. I'm not talking about physical land, spiritual territory. Hebrews 1.13 and then 10.13 says that God is waiting until His enemies are made His footstool. That's the call of the church. To make His enemies His footstool. Ephesians 6 says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers in heavenly places. So the church is here to wrestle against something. There are enemies here to wrestle against, but it's not people. It's not your neighbor. It's not your boss. It's not your spouse. It's not your parents. It's not your kids. It's spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Second Corinthians chapter 10, we've talked about this on Wednesday nights, talks about bringing down strongholds in every imagination and every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. There are spiritual forces out there today, the kinds of things I'm talking about, that are exalting themselves against the knowledge of God, interfering with knowing what God is like. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says that, that it is Satan who blinds the eyes of the unbelieving, that they cannot see, that they're not, so they're not see the hope of the glory of the gospel that's in Christ Jesus. The light of the gospel that's in Christ Jesus. So there are forces out there opposing themselves against God. And the church is here to make that enemy his footstool. So although we don't have physical giants to overcome, there are spiritual giants out there that look like giants to us now. But that's our calling. That's why we're here. But just because it's our calling doesn't mean that we are going to enter in. That choice is ours. And that's where Israel was at the time of this story. So they'd sent the spies in, they've come back and they've said, ten of the twelve say, we can't do this. It's overwhelming to us. I don't know, we're just going to sit back and have church. We're just going to sit back and, and just be who we are, stay in these walls, and just, just, just have church. That's, that's, that's the only safe thing to do. Now let's see what happens. Verse 26. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil generation who complain against me? I have heard the complaints that the children of Israel make against me. Say to them, As I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so will I do. The carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in this wilderness. Now if you go back and read, I mentioned this last week, if you go back and read, every time something didn't go the way they wanted, they said, Oh, that we died in the wilderness. So God's saying, All right. That's what you said was going to happen? You can have what you say. King David, when he was, his adultery and murder was exposed, the prophet Nathan said to him in the story, What should happen to this man? And David, out of his own mouth, pronounced his own judgment. 
Verse 30, except for Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Those were the two spies that said, I don't care what it looks like. God said it's ours. So we are well able. But your little ones whom you said would be victims, I will bring in, and they shall know the land that you have despised. But as for you, your carcasses will fall in the wilderness, and your sons shall be shepherds in the wilderness for 40 years. Now, the decision we make... Decisions you make as fathers, decisions you make as mothers, decisions we make as leaders, in any capacity as leaders, the decision that we make as a church does not just affect us. Because of the choice ten of those twelve spies made, the other two spies who made the right choice have to follow around for forty years, and their children struggled and did not immediately enter into their destiny because of the choice their parents made. So the choices we make don't just affect us. By the way, that's part of growing up, is realizing the choices you make don't just affect you. We live in a world that says, well, I want, I, I, let me do what I want to do because you know, it won't hurt. You know, if you just let me sin, what difference is it going to make to you? It does. Because we are interrelated somehow. We affect one another. And it's the lie of the devil to say that what you do won't matter to anybody else. It matters tremendously whether you can see how it matters or not. The choice we make affects not just us, but affects generations. It affects people in the body that don't want to make that choice. Because you see, God's treating them all together as one. They're either all going to enter in or they're not going to enter in until we all come to the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God. Let me ask you a question. Did you get your whole body here today? Part of my body didn't want to come today. But you know what? It's here. Because I can't bring part of it and leave the part that didn't want to come at home. It's either all here or it's all at home. So we either enter in or we don't. Say, Pastor, this sounds serious. It is serious. That's why the Bible says in these last days, be sober. It doesn't mean just don't drink. It means be alert, be aware, be awake. Realize the time you're in. There's so many warnings in the Bible about being alert, awake, realizing where we are. Verse 34, according to the number of your days which you spy to the land, 40 days each for each one, you will bear the guilt uh, uh, for one year. Namely, 40 years you shall know my rejection or my anger. Now, I want to go down to verse 39. Now, when Moses spoke all these words to the children of Israel, the people mourned greatly. And they rose early in the morning and went to the top of the mountain saying, Here we are. We've changed our mind. We're going to go up to that place which the Lord has promised, for we have sinned. And Moses said, Now why do you transgress the command of the Lord? For this will not succeed. Do not go up lest you be defeated by your enemies, for the Lord is not among you. We have this impression because of the age that we've been in, this age of grace, that, well, okay... I said no, but I thought about it now, God. I changed my mind. We think the door of opportunity is always going to be open. 
And what's happened here is the children of Israel rejected God's plan. God has now announced what He's going to do. And when they hear that, now they're mourning. And they say, okay, oh, we changed our mind. So they went up to the hill the next day saying, we're ready to go. And Moses says, you better be careful because you may go, but God's not going with you. That happened back in Exodus 32 when, when, when the, God was, Moses was on the mountain with God. God was giving him the Ten Commandments. And Moses, God says, you better get down there. You've got a problem in the church. And he went down and they had built a golden calf and were worshipping that as the God that brought them out of Egypt. And Moses is so mad, he melts the things down, grinds it into powder, throws it on the water and makes them drink their, what they were worshipping. And he falls on his face to intercede for them, goes up on the mountain. God is so mad he wants to fry them. And God, Moses talks God out of doing that. And then comes back down and God says, God says, all right, here's what I want to do. He says, you take this people, he said, and you take them in through the wilderness to the promised land, but I'm not going with you. And Moses says, if you're not coming with us, I'm not going. Because he goes on to say, because what makes us different from everybody else is that your presence is with us. The concern we have for the church, and I know I'm not the only one, is that the church doesn't know the presence of God. So it doesn't know whether the presence of God's here or not. The church is out there where the presence of God is not there and they don't know it. And when the presence of God is not there, we're doing it in our own strength, our program, our plan, our five-year plan, the vision that the pastors come up with, the vision that the board of directors have come, elders have come up with. This is what's going to succeed. We've adopted this program from corporate America, so that's what we're going to do over here. This is what we're going to do. And God just... Go ahead. Go ahead. Because as you go out there on your own, you know what's going to happen? You're going to get whooped. Those giants are going to be giants to you. Because what made the giants grasshoppers is the presence of God was with them. We dare not go where the presence of God's not going with us. Because it's the presence of God which is the ability to overcome. Hear the word of the Lord. Not the word of the good preacher, not the word of the televangelist. If they're speaking the word of the Lord, then hear it. But don't hear what some man says, some woman says, some prophet says. Hear the word of the Lord. Okay. Now let's go over to Hebrews chapter 3. Oh, they're my notes. Now, we've looked at this story in the Old Testament. We're going to show you how it relates today. Hebrews 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brethren, so he's talking to the church. 
partakers of the heavenly calling. That's what we're talking about. Consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Jesus Christ, who was faithful to him, who appointed him as Moses was faithful in all his house. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. So God uses Moses to help build the house of Israel, but the builder was Christ. For every house is built by somebody, and he who built all things is God. Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which will be spoken afterwards. For a testimony, and that's what we're hearing, a testimony of those things that will be spoken afterwards. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of hope, firm to the end. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice, Son of man, prophesy to these bones. Hear the word of the Lord. Hear the Holy Spirit says, Today, hear His voice. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. That's what we just read about. In the day of trial or testing in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me and tried me and saw my works for forty years, therefore I was angry at that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. They've not known my ways. Now if you look in Proverbs, Psalm 103, verse 7, don't turn there. It says, The children of Israel knew God's acts or His deeds, but Moses knew His ways. They saw his acts. They saw what God did for them. Just as the church today is well versed in what God will do for us. God will provide for us, protect us, heal us. He will do all these wonderful things for us. Those are his deeds. And the children of Israel knew his deeds. But they never knew him. They knew his deeds, but they never knew his way. You may know things that I'll do or not do by things I say or things I see, but my wife knows my ways. She can tell by looking at my face what's going on inside. Is that because she's such a great discerner of faces? Well, she's good at that. No, it's because she spent 45 years with me. And you learn something, you better, in 45 years, gentlemen. Moses knew his ways you can't know someone's ways if you don't listen to them if your heart's not open to hear them not just what they say with the newspaper up there please pass the salt I want another piece of toast that's not knowing somebody's ways It's listening from your heart to hear them. And as you listen from your heart and hear them, you get to know them, their ways. Moses spent time with God, listening to God. And as a result, he knew his way. He knew what God would want in a situation. So much so so that there were times he spoke for God. 
The prophet Elijah spoke for God when he, when he called fire down. I didn't say God told him to do it. He just did it. But he knew God well enough to know what God would do in that situation. So the children of Israel, because their hearts were rebellious and they wouldn't listen. See, rebellion isn't just getting mad. Rebellion isn't stopping off like this, you know, what we see a rebellious child. Rebellion can just be hardening my heart. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. Actually, if you go back in the Old Testament and you'll find what God says about rebellion, it's the example of Saul who, who God told him to destroy all the Amalekites and he destroyed all of them except the king and the best sheep. And God called that rebellion because he didn't do exactly what God... He said, he justified, but he said, well, I kept these sheep because I wanted to perform a sacrifice for you, which was a lie. Don't lie to God. Just, just a bit of advice here. And, and, and God says, I'd much rather have obedience than sacrifice. That doesn't mean the sacrifice for making up of disobedience. The sacrifice there is what Saul offered in substitute. What he said was good to do instead of obedience, which is what God said to do. See, what God requires of us is obedience. Not thinking what God would like but just doing what God... See, he knows what he wants. So if we just do what he says, he's happy. But when we come to him, what we think he wants as a substitute for doing what he, we know he wants, then that's rebellion. That's what the Bible says. And he calls it witchcraft. Pastor, this isn't a very nice Mother's Day message. <laughs> well, Mom will tell you the truth, won't she? A good mom will tell you the truth. And we would never think of having a seance in here. And yet we wouldn't think twice about rebelling against what God says to do. Dry bones. Dry, now it's good news because God does something with the dry bones. But if you don't realize how we're dry bones, you won't receive what God wants to do. Just like the Pharisees couldn't receive what Jesus had for them. They couldn't receive His mercy and His grace. Why? Because they thought they had it all together. They didn't see what Jesus... Oh, this is a good example. I mean, they walked into church with their robes on and in and, and the outward appearance they were holy and they did everything. They washed the inside of the cup the way we were supposed to cup. They did all the ceremonial things correctly and properly. So on the outside they looked like they were holier than anybody else. And, but Jesus said, here's how God sees you. You're a whitewashed sepulcher. Sepulcher is an empty tomb. And whitewashed is instead of... I had to paint a door yesterday. But whitewash is, is not paint. It's just coloring in water. And what happens is it will run off in the rain. And he says, you, you, you look nice on the outside, but it's just whitewash. It's not, you've not been made white. Because he said, and he says, a doctor doesn't come to a, a patient that's well. It comes to a patient that's sick. And because you think you're well, I can't do anything for you. So what we think of ourselves determines what God's able to do in us. Where we think we have it together stops God from showing us where we really are. Okay, we better move on. (laughs) 
Verse 12. Beware then, brethren, talking to the church, lest there be any of you who have an evil heart of unbelief departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it's still called today. Exhort, that's what I'm doing. Exhort one another daily while it's still called today, while there's still time. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. The sin he's talking about here is the sin of not hearing. For we become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our confidence, steadfast till the end. While it is said, here it is again, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as the day of rebellion. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all those? Was it not those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry for forty years? Was it not those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they should not enter his rest? But to those who did not obey, we see then that they could not enter in because of unbelief. In Mark's Gospel, Jesus, after he's baptized in the Jordan River, filled with the Holy Spirit, goes through his testing beginning to perform major miracles, comes back into the area of Capernaum, he goes to visit his own hometown. He's just performed incredible miracles for multitudes and multitudes. And everyone that came to him and asked, he healed. And now he comes to his own hometown. And Mark's account says, there he could do no mighty works because of their unbelief. He wanted to, but he could not. Why? Because they could not change their image of him. I mean, this is little Jesus. We saw him grow up. In other words, they would not hear the word of the Lord. They were so familiar with him, they couldn't hear the voice of God speaking through him. We have that danger in the church today. We become so familiar with God. And we, you know, there was a generation where people wouldn't speak openly about God. I mean, they wouldn't free you to God. You know, we had thus say it the Lord, Thou, O Lord God, our great come into your presence. And we spoke perpendicular. I mean, we have a whole, you know, church language. Instead of being real and open with God. But then there's the other extreme we can go to where we're so open and are free in our language with God, we become so familiar with Him that we brought him down out of heaven and he's our buddy. He's my best bud. And when they did this with him, he could do no mighty works. Wanted to, but because they would not hear who he was and what he said, he could not do what he wanted to do for them and in their midst. Okay, now chapter 4. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, that means be serious, sober, lest any of us seem to come short of it. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. So now he's bringing it back to us. The gospel was preached to us just as it was to them. For indeed, but the word which they heard did not profit them. Not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we have believed to enter into that rest. All right. Turn with me now to 1 Corinthians chapter 10.
Verse 1, Moreover, brethren, talking to the church, I do not want you to be unaware that our fathers were under the cloud all passed through the seas. Talking about the same experience, the same story we've just talked about. The cloud is the cloud where God's presence was with them. And the sea is the Red Sea that they passed through. All of them passed through that sea. All of them were led by and under the protection and leading of this cloud, God's Shekinah glory, His presence. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud. Baptized means joined together. In other words, they followed Him. They were one with Him in this group. And in the sea, they all ate the same spiritual food. That's the manna. So they all had the same experience together. They all went through the same experiences they were all delivered out of Egypt together. They all walked through the, walked, they all went through the Red Sea. That means they all passed through it, looking on either side, seeing the water wild up on either side. All of them had the same experience. All of them saw this cloud come down in the, in, in, in the daytime and lead, in the nighttime and daytime and lead them. Saw that cloud go back and separate them from the Egyptian, uh, chariots to protect them. They all had the same experience every morning of getting up and finding God has dropped down dough to make bread from heaven every day. They all had the same experience. But you know what an experience is? It's only an opportunity. Well, I never said this before. An experience like this is an opportunity, but that experience has no has value only with, based on what we do with it. And you all know what I've talked about. Because some of many, most of us have to go through the same thing over and over and over again and still don't get the same lesson. Still don't get it. And we see it with our children. Well, when are they ever going to learn? And I imagine God looks down at us and says, When are they ever going to hear it? All right. So they all have the same opportunity. They all drank from the same spiritual rock, which is the water that came out of the rock. That followed them, that rock was crossed. But with most of them, God was not pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Look at verse 6. Now these things happened, these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things. In other words, that story's in the Bible for our benefit. That's why we're looking at it. It's not just a nice Bible story that we learn in Sunday school. It's in there as an example. Now, here's what an example is. An example is an opportunity to learn or grow or to not. It's what we do with it. We can read this and study it and say, what a nice story. Wow, that's, wow, that's powerful. Boy, I'd never do that. Ever read through that story about the Israelites and say, Oh, how could they do that? Well, maybe God wants to show us their ways in which we're doing that. These became these are here for our example. That we should not lust after the evil things that they lusted at. Now this is how they got to that place. Verse seven. Do not become idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. That's referring to the building of the, of the golden calf, because not only did they build the golden calf, they had an orgy after it. That's what those words imply. It, replies, it, it implies unrestrained pleasure. God's not against pleasure. It's when your life is built on pleasure. 
Verse 8. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of the did, and one day 23,000 fell. That refers to the story that's in Numbers 25 when they came up to Moab to enter in, and they stopped there for a while, and a number of the people entered into, uh, uh, they married, intermarried with some of the Moabites. And as a result of that, they started worshiping some of their gods. See, God sees that as adultery, harlotry, because we've been betrothed to Him. So when we seek after other gods, we're breaking our covenant relationship with Him. Verse 9, Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them tempted and were destroyed by the serpents. That refers to Numbers 21 where the people are just complaining about the food. They complain about the food, which by the way is free. And they didn't have to go get. And it was, it was prepared by God. But you see, we can get tired of the things God's giving us. Especially if you start looking at what other people have. Well, these people aren't Christians. Look at how God's taking care of them. I don't have much. But what you have, God gave you. And they began to complain. And what happened is, actually their sin manifested as snakes. That's what snakes represent in the Bible. Fiery means venomous, poisonous. And they started biting them. And they started dying from their own sin. Sin's deadly. And they came to Moses, and Moses cried out to God. He says, here, what you need to do, you need to make, take, make a, 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 a image of one of these out of bronze and put it on top of a pole and lift it up. And everyone that looks at that, when they're bitten, will recover. Now, I would have felt better if he said, when you lift it up and look at it, they don't bite you. And of course, Jesus refers to this in John chapter 3, talking about when he's lifted up. Because bronze in the Old Testament represents sin that's been judged. Snake represents sin. And the pole represents the cross. So everyone, when it's lifted up, everyone that's been bitten with deadly sin, if you look on him and trust in him, you'll recover from the deadliness of the sin. You'll be forgiven and made righteous that's what that represents but they didn't get the message it's because they complained that the fiery serpents came among them literally their sin manifested some of you know what I'm talking about your sin has manifested in your life see we think it's the devil sometimes it's not the devil sometimes it's just we sinned we gave him the opening I was painting one door the yesterday and, you know, and, and I, in order to let it dry, I had to leave the door open. Guess what? We got flies in the house. I didn't walk around and say, how did that fly get in? I don't understand it. Well, the door was open. <laughs> you leave the door open, the Lord of the flies may come in. <laughs> Verse 11. All these happened to them All these happen to them as examples and they are written 
for our admonition or warning upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Well, if they were coming when Paul wrote this letter to the church at Corinth, how much more are we closer to that coming? So we need to heed this even more. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. In other words, don't get so confident of where you are. So here, Paul was trying to show this church where they were because when you think you know where you are, you have entered into spiritual pride, which is the most deadly of sins. No temptation is over. We love this. It's so comforting. No temptation has overtaken you, which is not common, which is common to man, except which is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, will make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. That's if you turn to Him. Now we're in Ephesians. We're in First Corinthians ten. Go back to chapter nine and look at verse nineteen. This is what precedes this. Paul's talking about his calling. We're talking about our calling as a church. For though I'm free from all men and have made myself a servant to all that I may win the more, to the Jews I've become a Jew that I might win the Jews, to those who are under the law as under the law that I might win those who are under the law, to those who are without the law, that's the Gentiles, without the law, not being without the law towards God but under the law towards Christ that I may win those who are without the law. To the weak I become as weak, that I may win the weak. I become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. I'll go and explain, read this, then I'll explain it. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be a partake, partaker of it with you, a sharer of it in you. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receive, only one's going to receive the prize? Therefore, run in such a way that you may obtain it. Everyone who competes for the prize is tempered in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown. We do it for an imperishable crown. Therefore, I run this way, not as uncertainly, but I fight not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body, bring it into subjection, lest when I preach to others, I myself should be disqualified. Here's what he's saying. All the way back to the beginning, he's talking about Proverbs 29, 22. God called me. Jesus appeared to me. He gave me a vision. He gave me a calling. He gave me a purpose. And once I had that purpose, it's governed everything I've done. Because before he's talking, we didn't read it, before he's talking, he says, I have certain rights as an apostle. I have a right to receive my income from you. But I've chosen not to do this because it might interfere with your receiving the gospel. He says, that's good. The Bible says to do that, but I've chosen not to do that. I have a right to bring along with me an unbelieving wife. That's what others are doing. But I have dedicated my life, consecrated myself, so that I may accomplish and fulfill my call. And the result is, because I know what God's called me to do, it now governs everything I do, because it either enhances that call, or it distracts me from that call, even if it's a good thing. Without a vision, without a prophetic revelation, the people are unrestrained. Paul was unrestrained until he received a prophetic revelation. Once he had that revelation, it determined everything he did because it was determined by that purpose.
Vision will bring you alive. Purpose will bring, give meaning to your life. A reason to get up every day and take a breath. A reason to pray and praise God. When you've seen what God's called you to do, it puts you on your knees. Because there's no way you can do it. When you go face those giants and they look overwhelming to you, it calls you to come back into the presence of God. Because I need the presence of God. It governs your life when you have a purpose that's been given to you by God. Young people, it's everything in your life. So many of your friends, peers, people at school, the things they're struggling with because there's no value to their life and purpose to their life. God has a calling for your life, young people. A purpose for your life. There are many distractions out there today, especially for young people, but for all of us. Paul says, I beat my body. I think it was you. I remember the service I shared it with last week. That word beat literally means it's a a boxing term. And in those days, boxers fought with their open fists. They didn't wear gloves. And the danger, of course, was if you got hit in the face and you had soft skin or tender skin, it would swell up, your eye would close, and now you're just a sitting duck. So what they would do is they would have a leather glove they would put on which had beads and things in it. And they would, this is the boxer would do to himself. He'd hit himself in the face with it to toughen his face up so that when he got in the real contest and he was hit by the enemy in the face, he wouldn't react. His skin wouldn't react. And now Paul goes from that example, from that principle, into the chapter we just read Uh, He uses Israel as an example of a people that also had a call from God, but they missed the call because they didn't discipline themselves for the sake of fulfilling the call. Because all of those little things they did wrong, which kept them from entering in, were all because they just did what they wanted to do. And you and I live in a time when that's what the church is saturated with. Self-centered, self-seeking, gets offended because I didn't somebody sat in my seat I'm not looking at right now somebody took my parking place somebody said something and I don't like what they said I'm not getting my rights I don't want my rights (laughs) I don't want what I'm entitled to I'm glad God, Jesus paid for what I was entitled to because everything I have from God is a gift of grace. It's a gift of grace. It's a gift of grace. Son of man, can these bones live? Lord, only you know. What's the answer, Lord? Only you know. Here's the answer, son of man. You prophesy to these bones. Say, hear the word of the Lord. Faith Christian Center, God's speaking to us. We need to have ears to hear. And everything is at stake with what whether whether we hear or not hear. Don't get afraid of it. You just have to be open. You just have to be open. Paul said afterwards in another section of scripture he says if you're not so good then God will show you. It's when God shows you something and you harden your heart to it. It's when you refuse to grow and learn. 
God can teach you in your mistakes. God can teach you in your victories. God can teach you in everything as long as you remain open and teachable. The Pharisees, because they thought they were somewhere, couldn't receive what God had for them. But the adulteresses, Mary Magdalene, who had demons in her, was adulterous. The woman caught in the act of adultery, he loved her and he ministered to her and brought her out of where she was because she recognized and faced where she was. We're going to start seeing next week that God's going to bring these dry bones alive as long as we hear the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we recognize from your word and by your spirit that we are right now in a critical time in the history of the church, in the history of your kingdom. Help us to begin to look at our lives, the lives of those that are around us, where you placed us at work, where you placed us at school, where you placed us in our homes, where you placed us in our families. Help us to see those from your perspective. Help us to recognize your calling on our life, your purpose for our life. Father, most of us, we all have our own ambitions and our desires, but it's your kingdom come. It's your will being done that matters. So we come before you this morning as a congregation here at Faith Christian Center. We ask you to open our eyes to see how you see us. Not in fear, but with a holy reverence for our need to know where we are in your sight so that you may breathe on us the breath of life and do your will in our lives and in this place. And for that grace, we thank you in advance. In Jesus' name, amen.